We are so excited, so excited to have the premiere episode of Divesting for Whiteness, the very first episode to feature none other than my friend, Letty Shumite. Letty is the creator of History Shows Us podcast and is an amazing community advocate and historian, a storyteller, and most of all, I'm lucky enough to be able to call her friend. Get into it, y'all. Today, we are talking about the history of whiteness. If we are going to divest from this system that is so violent and toxic to us all, it's so important that we recognize the origin story. Excited to see y'all on the other end of the episode. Hey, yo, Kina, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh, we're divesting from whiteness. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down thought pattern. And as long as you think that old sit-down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains. I'll be trying to find a way to break the chains. It be strange, it be strange, it be strange I be trying to find a way to make a change Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains I be trying to find a way to break the chains And so I'm excited that I get to do this first episode with Letty of History Shows Us. Also, Letty, have you caught on? You probably haven't caught on because you don't be paying attention to stuff like that. But like every now and then I'll say History Shows Us. Shout out to Letty. Like, <laughs> yep, I definitely have. I definitely have. Um, there's there's a couple people who will, who will do that. And I'm like, oh, I saw that nod. I, I saw it. I saw it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so listen, I want you to tell us a little bit more about you. What do you want my listeners to know about who you are, how you move through the world? So, yeah. Um, well, people have known me before as Letty Shoemate, um, but I am getting a divorce. And that's actually been, oh, let's see, I guess all that started back in October of last year. So my name will be changing back to Gore. It's my last name. So I've been telling people that on podcasts and other things I've been doing because people have known me as Letty Shoemate, but that's going to change. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm a historian. I mean, basically, Kino, like, well, like you were saying, I'm a historian. I got my MA in history in 2015. Uh, then I went and got my conflict management and resolution masters and finished that in 2020. And I love history. Absolutely love history, but not just, and I mean to say this too, uh, I haven't always loved history. I actually hated it growing up. And so I just see the importance of looking beyond dates and times, but you have to understand how things connect because everything connects. History is not linear. And so with that, though, also is this passion I have of 
having these conversations with people while also in this work of dismantling this racist and oppressive system, because we can't dismantle the system without strategy. Strategy requires communication. Um, and I don't mean communication with everybody because I don't be out here feelings, <laughs> and I don't be out here trying to make racists understand. Oh my gosh, please listen. No, I'm not doing that. But um, I, I am grateful for the abilities that I have and just the passion that I have and then knowledge I have, but also just um, my ability to, to see the importance of grace. Um, I'm someone who depends a lot on faith and God and uh, grace within my own life. So yeah, it, there's, there's a lot wound up into who I am as a person. And I love James Baldwin. So there's that. I think everyone... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I completely forgot that, that you're yes. also like our resident James Baldwin uh, uh, expert extraordinaire. Yes, that is my main man. Baldwin is just my favorite in history. He's just my favorite. So yeah. Your, your guiding ancestor. Yes, absolutely. Like he posthumously was my mentor in grad school, getting my MA in history. And people are like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, James Baldwin's writing helped me see the depth of me and also help me navigate other things I was reading. Um, it was just like, he was just constantly with me. And so it was yeah. like history through how he was also holding it and showing it. And I learned what it means to bear witness. And yeah. yeah. So. That's really awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here is the check-in question. Context is everything. And so the question I have for you today is what is shaping your life today? What is shaping my life today? That's a really good question, Kina. And I'm not even going to lie. I looked at that earlier and I was like, I, I need to think about this. Um, what is shaping me? Honestly, right now, what's shaping me is a, a hope just collectively for me right now in my life is hope. Um, but not that like kumbaya hope. My hope has different yeah. branches to it. Um, yeah. Hope within my own personal life and seeing like how much I've gone through this year and how wonderful therapy has been for me and how much I've been able to overcome and how I'm in a wonderful place right now. And so uh, seeing how hope has helped me persevere this year, but also hope right now, whenever I look at the state of the country, um, but not the hope in, well, I just hope that we all get along. No hope in black people, uh, yeah. hope in black people and, uh, seeing us continuously surviving. I'm not even going to say fighting, but surviving yeah. because that's also part of this movement. And I have hope in um, the people that I've seen, uh, white people, people of color who I've seen have been um, consistently showing up in like the past year. I have um, a pretty large Patreon community, which I'm very, very grateful for. And it's just wonderful being, uh, being able to see 
uh, the same people showing up to conversations and commenting and sending me messages. And so there's a lot people don't see with things whenever it comes to um, the work, right? And so, yeah, those are just some things right now. Um, hope and that is what's shaping me right now. That's awesome. Um, we're going to come back to what's shaping me later in the episode, though. So let's talk about why we're here. We're here because I wanted a historian. Again, I, I, I can't say it enough that I am a fan of history, but I am not a historian. I'm not formally educated in your ways and mythologies, right? And it was really important to me for this first season to really lay out for people an understanding of what whiteness is and what it isn't, right? Um, and so I figured we really need to kind of get to the, let's examine the history of it what whiteness means. And I and because context is so important, I want people to know that uh, Letty and I both live in the United States, right? And so, so much of our orientation to this is gonna be from the lens of being, you know, people who live in the US. Um, I, you know, I always say whiteness is a global enterprise, um, but the shape it has really, um, manifest in different ways in different places in different cities in different regions um and so i thought it was really important to have you kind of set the stage the foundation um and so the first thing we're doing here is kind of talking about that history of whiteness but i also really want us to to deal with and to touch on the premise which is that whiteness only exists to oppose blackness because i think a lot of people especially different people across BIPOC community um, really struggle with that. Um, and so those are the two things that I think would be super enriching for our listeners moving throughout um, this season. Yeah, so I'm glad that we're starting with this because I feel like this is still something that people find confusing, what whiteness is. And so I'm gonna be honest, I pulled up, there's a note that I have on my phone because uh, I discussed this on a panel earlier this year. So uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm just going to kind of like read off of that because when I typed this up, it was exactly what I wanted to say. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> However you show up, we are appreciative. <laughs> yeah, uh, whiteness. And really, I would even add in white racialized identity. Um, yeah. Right? Uh, refer to the way that white people, their cultures, their customs, their beliefs operate as the standard by which all these other groups of people are compared. And yeah. the reason why I say white racialized identity is because of the history of the assimilation into whiteness because of skin color, mm -hmm. um, which yeah. many people want to leave out, but I'll get back to that. Um, and then also, right, like whiteness is honestly at the center of understanding race in this country because of the way this country was founded and the system on which it operates. So whiteness goes along with the system of power, which is racism, because whiteness is powerful and has the power because we're all seen as inferior compared to those with this skin tone. Okay. And I hope that actually was not confusing how I just said it. I was trying to like go in order of my like brain, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then whiteness and the normalization too of white racial identity throughout this country's history created this culture 
um, to where anyone who isn't white is seen as abnormal, um, inferior, um, inherently immoral. Uh, that goes back to the eugenics movement, honestly. Um, and so, yeah, that's like a basic foundation for me as far as like whenever I start a conversation about whiteness and also to understand that the white dominant culture that we see in the United States also operates as this kind of social mechanism that grants, right, these advantages to white people since they're the ones that can navigate society both by feeling quote unquote normal. I don't like using the word normal because it's subjective, but I will for this being for yeah. feeling normal um, because white has been seen as acceptable and the norm and, and then also being viewed, being viewed as normal. So they're navigating the country by feeling normal and by being viewed as being like, oh, well, you're, you're fine. You're, you're pure, right? Like all of these things. And I'm using these words because, uh, purity, right? Like that is, that is a word that is seen in many historical documents, um, from the church to government documents about whiteness being or white people being protected or white women being protected from the black beasts and all of these yeah. things right um and so like this this thing like not wanting to taint that and so people who identify as white rarely have to think about their racial identity because they live within this culture where whiteness has been normalized. Yeah. Right. So that goes back to what I was saying before about normal. Um, yeah. And it's also interesting because I think for a lot of white people, especially those white people living in the United States, they think just because they haven't had to think about being white, because to your point, it's like the default normal thing they don't have racialized experiences, but they do, right? Yeah. Uh, just because it doesn't get named out loud, yep. they do, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. I remember, yeah. yeah, I remember my formal life as a college professor, um, whenever I would bring up, you know, whiteness with students, I, I just, I, I, they, so many of my white students honestly seem shocked when they recognized that being able to identity, to identify as white meant something, when they started to, especially, and we're gonna get to this, but even thinking about the fact that they had ancestors who weren't white, right? Um, they always seem so shocked because it doesn't dawn on them like, oh my gosh. Like people are used to talking about race issues relating to black people or to, you know, those people at the border, right? And so race in itself seems like a conversation separate from white people. Mm -hmm. And it's truly not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. It's, what do you, it's, it's just not. No, no. And I feel like that's a, that's a huge misconception, um, which is what you were getting at. Like, no. And, and to your point too, about white people thinking that, they haven't had to deal with racism or, or they haven't had to deal with race or anything like that. And, oh, I just haven't had to deal with it. Yeah, because you're the dominant culture. Like, y'all are the yeah. dominant culture. And 
and I'm, I'm maybe skipping ahead, but I just want to talk about this right, right now. Um, also like the degrees, and you can tell me Keenan, if this is going too far ahead, but the, the things white people have done historically <laughs> to not only maintain whiteness, but also white supremacy, um, mm -hmm. that's seen a lot. That's actually all throughout this country's history, right? I'm, I'm, this is from laws being written and to court cases, to um, immigration acts, to, yeah. And I wanted something in particular I'm thinking about is the immigration act of no, you're getting too far ahead. Stop. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I'm not going to edit that out. But what I will say is Letty is a dead ass historian, right? So like, we're going to give Letty my, my all brain the is going. Play, my right? brain goes so but, fast. And, you know, I'm going to put on my, <laughs> if I were a white person listening to this, right? I think the question that might organically come up um, is like, let's go back to when this concept white identity shows itself up in the United States. Let's go back to that. Do you think that that is something, right? Cause I have my own kind of take on like the, like how whiteness has evolved, but let's talk about when it first steps on the scene, paint that picture for us. Oh, whenever whiteness first came, first comes here. Yes. Before yes. 1619, before 1619, people want to say it's 1619. It's before that um yeah but if we're talking okay just for the sake of this conversation we are going to say 1619 okay. and i'm saying that because of enslaved people because of african people that were stolen and brought over here um in 1619 but and actually, Tina, no, I am going to go back because <laughs> there had to have been, like, there was also a justification for it, a justification for going yeah. to Africa, right? Like, there was a reason for that. And honestly, that could be an entire podcast series, um, but I'm going to make it and short, I, right? And like, I also want to, like, I'm trying to be on my best behavior because, you know, I'm just like, sitting here like it's our blackness it's our blackness but that is not the conversation we're having right now no because yeah but see before we get to anti-blackness people got to understand the like foundations of stuff right because yeah. people don't even know that anti-blackness is also a, a specific type of racism and people still don't grasp that either i'm like anti-blackness is a is anti-blackness but it's also a, a type of racism and people keep yeah. not wanting to understand and so, yeah, um, basically there was justification for going to Africa to get or to steal Africans um, yeah. to bring over to North America. Um, this was not just uh, something that happened here. It was also these ideas that were being spread and shared in European countries as well with um, dark skinned people being inherently immoral um and mm -hmm. in need of being tamed anyway whole other podcast that we could talk about that with but yeah. what you start seeing in the americas um is white people colonizers who decided 
all right, we're going to have these people, African people, working for us. But at the time, at one point, okay, in this country, you had Black people who could buy their freedom um, in the 1600s. Now, people want to then say, oh, see, look, they could do it. Slavery wasn't bad. Y'all, that was literally for like five minutes. It wasn't even, no, 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 no. Because then they found a reason, <laughs> then, like within like 20 years, they found yeah. a reason to- That, that was um, 45 minutes. <laughs> right, I'm like, y'all ain't even, no, it was not even like that. Like they found a reason to justify it. And really it was because what we still see this country doing, and by this country, I mean, specifically white people doing, is trying to find a scapegoat trying to find something that they have to blame, something that they have to do in order to keep themselves superior. So you start to see these laws being written about property, um, about African people. You start to have quote unquote scientists that are saying things about these African people and how they need to be tamed and all these other, there's a whole bunch of other medical stuff that goes along with this, but what, but it's not just the medical stuff that goes along with it. It's the power of communal thinking. Um, and, the, and by communal thinking, what I mean is white people believing this, believing all that they're all saying, feeding into it, saying like, oh yeah, that's what this person said. And they said that this is gonna happen if we don't do this and we have to protect ourselves. A lot of awesome what we see today. It's literally- So, to be, so I wanna draw some specificity here, right? Because I think you're talking about like people who were using science to say that there was a racial category, right? People who were trying to say there was a biological determinant, which is that white people, these Europeans, and the specifically, like a specific group of Europeans, not even the whole thing, right? They weren't including people from certain components, but trying to say there was a biological determinant to determine it that said, white people are superior than all these other people, the mongrels and the Negroes, right? So those are the people you're talking about, right? Like people who are using science, a yeah. pseudoscience, right? To name race differences. Yeah, and also, I mean, yes. And and also, I mean, again, like really not even just here, and that's why I was saying, like we could do a whole series on just the, pr the prior stuff too, but like even, you can trace it back to like ancient Greece and mm -hmm. whiteness right? Like you, you can trace that all the way back to then. Um, there's a book called The History of uh, White People. It's by Nell Irvin Painter. I have it on my shelf. Um, it's phenomenal. And she goes into the history of white people. Like that's what I want, like my book is called that. Um, and whiteness. And she traces it so you can see and understand the pervasive and insidious nature of racism and whiteness and white supremacy. It's really good. Um, and so, yeah, you, you start to see this. This is whenever, too, you start to also see a, a shift, especially in our country. Well, we, we weren't even a country yet. Um, like it wasn't even like the United States yet, right? But yeah. you start to see this shift in these ideas about slavery, but also economic and socioeconomic uh, yeah. for it, right? Mm -hmm. And I say economic and socioeconomic separately like that on purpose, um, because if you split the country up in a way 
it did differ socially in, at, at some points, not because racism wasn't everywhere, but just like for my historian brain, that's like how I do it sometimes. And yeah, so you start to see justification and you start to see uh, how racism begins really and I don't, I don't i don't even know like another way to say it, but like how racism begins um because racism i think ta-nehisi coates said it racism is the race is the child of racism not the father right mm -hmm. and he says that i don't know if people know what he what he means right like race is the child of racism not the father race was created it's a social construct Mm -hmm. period like that's that's it right race yeah. is a social construct and that's exactly why when I was talking a few minutes ago about whiteness I was like white racial identity because I'm I, we can go into a whole thing about passing and um people being able to gain the advantages of or gain white privilege because of their white skin tone, even if they are, I don't know, German, mm. right? Like people always- well, like, we're, we're gonna come back to that too. So yeah. 1619, and also Letty said this, but I just wanna uh, reiterate that black people, Africans were here prior to 1619, but we yes. usually earmark that time because that's when we actually have receipts of purchase, right? Yes. This is where we literally see that the transactions of humans being purchased that are African by those people who are white and European, all right? So 1619 comes along, right? And to your point, the United States is not the United States yet, right? Mm -hmm. But now they're just doing business. And I would say that there is more language that exists, more rhetoric that exists that further, um, and I also wanna be really careful, solidifies the concept of race as scientific and biological, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that justifies why slavery, right? <laughs> the transatlantic slave trade gets to expand, right? Yes. Because the more we start selling and purchasing more Africans, the more we have to justify the mm -hmm. act and the violence that is occurring, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah um, so to the point where now African people are not human, right? They're cattle, you know, this is why I think it's really important to even use that term chattel slavery because we're really naming the fact that our ancestors weren't even seen as humans. Um, and this is ironic too, right? Because <laughs> what a like a like a mind bend, Letty, because race was created as a social construct to name black people and other people as other and exotic, right? Immoral, all those things you mentioned. But at the same time, you're also saying that Africans aren't even human. So mm -hmm. it's like, pick a side, like pick a side. Where do you want to put us at? You know, either mm -hmm. we're not human and animals or we're human, but just like lower caste. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So walk us to walk us from there. So, you know, now ch um, chattel slavery is legitimized. It is legitimized in our policy. It's legitimized in our laws, all those things. All right. And we're becoming a country. Mm -hmm. What does whiteness mean during that time? I mean, okay, but see, here's the thing. Whiteness actually wasn't really a concept until like the 19th and 20th century. So that's very important mm -hmm. for people to know that like 
And really, whiteness is a word that's being used more now. And I was actually just now trying to find this quote by W.E.B. Du Bois, which I'll read it in a second. Um, but in his essay, The Souls of Black Folk, or sorry, The Souls of White Folk, because um, he wrote The Souls of White Folk and he wrote The Souls of Black Folk. But in The Souls of White Folk, um, he wrote this quote, and I'll read it in a second. But um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, so like you basically have like chattel slavery, and not just chattel slavery, but what you have are laws, like the, the constitution itself um, protects the enslavers. Um, I'm gonna try to do, let's see, I'm gonna try to do like 1770 to like 1850 because that's integral right there. But the, what, what you see is a shift in, or an extreme, extreme growth in uh, wealth in this country. You start to see even more um, African people uh, being stolen, um, illegally transported. And by that, I mean, you know, people would go and take boats they weren't even authorized to take and steal African people and bring them over here and enslave them, torture them, brutalize them. Um, but what you had developed is basically this idea that black, that African people were inferior and that they needed to be tamed. And a lot of that too was because of white christian church um and that's why i say it's the whole thing <laughs> the whole thing yep it is and yeah. so yeah um and then what you also have and like what what you start seeing are are these is the extent to which white people will go to to protect uh their property my property i mean the enslaved black people to protect their property not make sure that they're safe no 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 no, no. to protect their property for their money um, like the investment, the investment, protect right, their investment. And, right. And like, whenever I say the extent that they'll go to, I do mean things like the Fugitive, the Fugitive Slave Act, which was, um, there was one in 1793, but there was also one in um, 1850. The one in 1850 is the one that most people know about because the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 is actually the only time that the government was required to help enslavers get their property back whenever enslaved Black people escape even to a free state. So even to a free state, if I was an enslaved Black person and I'm in North Carolina and I escaped to Pennsylvania, the government has a duty to get me back to the white man or white woman or white child that owns me. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's very important people understand that because the government, it was in the constitution, the government was required to help, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you, you see lengths, lengths like that. You also see um, punishment increasing uh, on towards the enslaved people, what they're doing, the manipulation, uh, the psychological things they're doing, just all of that starts to increase too, because what you also have is a rise in medicine and science, quote unquote science. Um, and these experiments being done to justify, right, this treatment of these enslaved Black people. There, there was even a disease for why Black people would run away. They said that there mm -hmm. was a I'm just like, really? Y'all are real fucked up. Y'all are messed up. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, so like you, 
you start seeing this. And at the same time, what you're also seeing is anti-slavery and abolition efforts. Um, in and I just want to pause too, because I realize I wanted to, I mean, there is an intersectional component here that I feel is important. So we're still, we're, we're working on our way outside of the American revolutionary time period, mm -hmm. but indigenous people were enslaved, all right? Mm -hmm. Not to the extent that Africans were, but there were major attempts to enslave and also really want to recognize that there is also a ways in which like the white colonizers held the space and, um, named indigenous folks as savages and again using that language of otherizing to create even though the hierarchy at this point isn't formalized it's starting to take shape i think right to make sure that people know that what we're doing even to the indigenous people is justified because they're savages oh absolutely and they're brutal yeah absolutely and they, yeah and they can't they don't know how to take care of themselves and so we're here we're protecting them so I just wanted to make sure we name that, you know what I'm saying? That is a specific component of this too, um, as whiteness is evolving. I mean, yes, but I'm gonna make a distinction here though, because yeah. this is where the history gets messed up. Because you, yeah. yes, like you have, yes. So indigenous people, yes, they were absolutely called savages and a number of other, other racist terms. Um, to justify their treatment more often and uh, indigenous people were indentured servants indentured servants were not the same thing as enslaved people yeah. um, and that's why I really don't I hate whenever these plantation tours want to say we had in indentured servants here no you had in enslaved people here um yeah not have those were different those were different systems Right. Yeah. And so what you also saw, and this is, this is why, this is why anti-Blackness is very important for people to understand is because African people and Black people in this country were still the ones that were being held captive against yeah. their will, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a there's even more that goes into the 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 migration of indigenous people um, to the Midwest and what that meant for for this country. Yeah, so much so we're leaving the American Revolutionary War. There's two things that I want to lift up and hear your thoughts on. One being a lot of the times when people talk about the American Revolutionary War, they talk about it like it was this time in the United States where everyone was like, yes. We're securing our country. Yes, we're the United States of America. We're banding together against Mother England who wants to harm us. And I think there's, there's a falseness there, right? Because when people signed up to be soldiers in the American Revolutionary War, in a lot of ways, they were like, I live in Georgia. I'm a, like a Georgia resident, but I'm just coming to like sustain the current status quo. I don't think there was this universal understanding of what it meant to be an American, even after the American Revolutionary War. You know what I'm saying? Like there wasn't this whole like, USA, USA. No, it but was there was, no, I mean, there, there wasn't that. I'm not a big like war history person, but what yeah. I will say is the American Revolution 
that was a different time culturally and socially. So yeah. it's at, like, I would not compare the American Revolution to like the Civil War because it was a different time. Um, we were still colonies. Like we yeah. weren't even our own country, right? So we weren't even that yet. Um, but no, I feel like- And people were like rough your set. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel no. like people talk about that time frame. Like everyone was like gun-ho about the, the enterprise of America. I'm just saying, I don't think even yeah. at that point, there was this united front but history tries to make it seem like it existed. I mean, there probably was to an extent um, because there wasn't an opposite here yet. There wasn't an opposing side yet. Like it was just mm -hmm. us versus <laughs> like Europe, right? Like, like it was just, yeah. like, it was just us. So yeah, like there's, there's a lot that goes into that part of the history too. And like what it meant to um, stand with the Americas um uh -huh. and what it meant to gain independence and what you had to do to get that kind of like oh like the boston tea party they were fighting they literally took property that was not theirs and threw it into the river like what are you talking about like they literally, yeah. like they committed crimes they committed crimes yeah um, yeah and yeah. africans slaves signed up for that service in that war too that's another thing people don't talk about is that there were people yeah. who were slaves who fought on both sides, right? British was like, hey, y'all slaves, if you fight for the British, we'll make sure you're free. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's just the second thing I wanted to name right. about that, you know, that, that that often gets omitted, that there was this moment where Black people signed up to support the cause, and there were people who signed up to support the Tories, still trying to pursue freedom and humanity and still being used in that capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because a lot of times, and I know I'm getting us off topic, I'm gonna get us back in, but I heard, I've heard criticism of us. And by us, I mean like the enslaved, you know, like, well, why didn't they try to like, you know, fight back or why did they try to da da da? And it's just like, are you kidding me? Like prior to coming to this country and even after being in this country, black people were always, fighting for freedom, including the ones who signed up to be soldiers during that war. You but know? I, and I also just have a real issue with that um, because that's actually not how people work. That is not how the human brain works. It is just not. Yeah. Like if you are legitimately stolen, stolen from your mm -hmm. home today and you are in a van for three months, with mm. 25 other people on top of you yeah. and yeah. you are terrified first of all your entire nervous system doesn't complete change your it, body exactly changes. your yep. your your mind changes your body changes and i cannot stand remember people say that shit like well why didn't they fight back are you kidding me they that is yeah. not how, that is not how it works that's actually not how yep. it works and so then what 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 do you mean? Yes, like there were people who did. Yes, tons of black people constantly resisted, constantly resisted throughout slavery. Yep, always. Did they fight back? Absolutely, they did. Yeah. But also, you have to think. Do you think that people these these black people were going to look at the horrific 
brutalization of one of their family members while they have a child and mm-hmm. say, okay, yep, I'm just going to gladly go. We are not all the same, even today. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just get so defensive about that and I cannot stand it because then yeah. I look at white people today and I say, all right, well, why didn't you say something? Remember that person was racist inside the store, huh? Why, why didn't you say something? Yeah. Riddle me that. Riddle me that because that's always the cop out is, well, why didn't they just fight back? Well, why didn't y'all just not steal us? How about that? How about that? that. Your ancestors did that. (laughs) Your ancestors did that. Like, I mean, honestly, though. (laughs) Right, like I, 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 y'all, I lit a fire under Letty. I did not need the like the fire. I just want to reiterate that there were black people who signed up during the American Revolutionary War in order to 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 gain freedom. That we, like you said, we've always worked hard to gain it. We haven't stopped. So moving forward, and they do need to hear that. I'm okay with the fact that you set it off just then. All right, so American Revolutionary War, go team USA. We're a country. The Constitution has been created by people who are like, you know, even when you contextualize that, you know, what 34 people signed the document, how many of those people owned slaves and were pro slave? That's a real thing. Um, I would like to move us to like, okay, so after the Constitution is created, unless there are things that you want to say about that moment in time, American Revolutionary War, the United States won. Um, dun, 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 dun. Civil War. <laughs> yes, and okay. After American Revolution, you start. That's whenever the Industrial Revolution is happening, and you have right. Like you you see jobs changing, and you see. Oh, wait, wait, Letty. Wait, 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 Letty. I'm just trying to track that. So, uh, the Civil War. Industrial I mean, Revolution the, before the war. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Industrial Revolution. Let's start. Like 1820-something. You're right. Okay, yeah, you're totally right. That's why you're the historian. Okay, so we're, we want to talk about that first, and then the Civil War? Yeah, I mean, and like we can talk, really, here's what I want people to hear about the Industrial Revolution that's extremely important to understand is so the Industrial Revolution was not only a rise in business. That's what we learned in like school. Like, oh, it's a rise in business. All and, of, like all the factories and all the machines. Right, right. All the mm-hmm. factories and all of that. And in Europe and in the, the like United States, you also have a wave of like immigrants coming over here. Well, right? and it's important to name that it's what slave cotton that actually creates a lot oh, yeah. of this booming northern, yeah. right? Cotton, and that's what when, and when people and when people talk about the North as benevolent, like you're talking about things that drive you batty, that drives me batty. I grew up in New York, and growing up in New York public schools, that's exactly how they frame it. They frame it like up here in the North, we were just minding our business, being good to black people. We ain't know what the sloth was doing. Well, Y'all were literally taking the cotton from the South. Well, yeah, because they, right? they don't they don't see that as being complicit with racism. Yeah. They don't, and then, they don't that, see it that way. Then that cotton boom industry in the north. Yeah, they don't see it that way. They see it yeah. as because memory clashes, right? With fact all the time. Um, and yeah, they, they don't see it that way. So yeah, you have um, mass production or even larger mm-hmm. production of 
cotton, right? Sugar yeah. cane, rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not just those, um, but those are like the biggest three at the time. Mm-hmm. You also have these, these uh, machines being created that help, mm-hmm. um, help with production, help things go faster, right? That's where we get the factories and all this stuff. Um, yeah. but what you also had, right, were the immigrants coming over here to work. Um, and Can we the- talk about that, Letty? Can we talk about it? Please? I will for the sake of whiteness. Um, yes. Because <laughs> that's the only time Letty's ever going to use that phrase. I will for the sake because of Because it's, well, because I could talk about that for the rest of time. Because yeah. what happens with where immigrants are settling in the country, that also has a lot to do with things, Right but also how these immigrants were treated too when they came over here. Um, At the time, some of them were able to assimilate into white culture because of their skin tone, but for purely economic reasons. They were the ones coming over here at the time because uh, some of them were very wealthy or um, famine. um, Yeah. specific to like irish people right so just naming like the huge right like they 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 were coming over here uh yes and not in the not in the droves like they were though in the late 1800s early 1900s yet um but by then see our country had changed because we had a whole war to keep black people enslaved and so i'm gonna get to that but yeah so they were they were um here for economic reasons um that was purely that for a minute. And I won't say purely that because there's like, I don't like to say like that with history because people didn't think that it's just one way. People got to understand that like there were other things happening in like smaller towns, small, you know, cities and things like that. Um, and so the Industrial Revolution, booming economy, okay? This is also whenever you see a large influx of stolen African people being brought over into the United States, even though our country in many states had banned the importation of African peoples. Um, I'm saying that because that's what the document said. Um, and yet yeah. they it anyway. They're so that's when that domestic slave trade starts. And this right. is why people should probably name that there's two slave trades in the United States. People often be like, oh, transatlantic, transatlantic. And I'm like, yeah, but the domestic one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, right, right. Like the transatlantic slave trade. I mean, the domestic one was happening the like, whole time. It's just that there weren't actual records of it yet. Um, but then yeah. you start to have records of it, right? And so you do have this domestic, this domestic slave trade. That was also, I mean, it was happening. It just was documented more. Um, yeah. And then, yep. Yeah, and then the, the Industrial Revolution is also around the time that you start to see like an, anti-slavery um, and abolition efforts in northern cities and northern states some of them um not all of them people think that it was all of the north no it was like five of y'all honestly uh it was not a lot of people and also anti-slavery with white people up north did not mean pro-black people and it did not mean pro-equality that's not what it meant that's literally not what it meant like we see that afterwards. We saw it afterwards. What they ruined, what they were trying to say was, oh, well, slavery should be, con- like, slavery should not be a thing. Slavery. They never said anything about the people, right? Like, that's, yes. and to read these documents a little closer, y'all, okay? <laughs> but, like, yeah, so you're starting to see, and, you know, usually people hear about those, like, the, um, I don't know, Grimke sisters, Frederick Douglass, who was a Black man, 
Grimke sisters were um, two white women. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who was a, a white man who was one of the biggest names you hear about whenever you hear about anti-slavery efforts. And in this too are all these compromises and the like Missouri Compromise, the Compromise of like 1850, all of which was over land and property, enslaved people. And yeah. then we have a civil war. And you had, before the civil war happened, 11 states that were like, peace out, um, United States. We're going to be over here and we're actually committing treason right now, but we're going to be over here. All right. And we're going to start a war and we're going to fight each other and over. And so before, so before the war, right, the Civil War, um, what do we think white means at that time? Because I think that's important. Oh, I do think pure. white meant pure, yeah. white meant um, white meant pure, white meant innocent, um, white meant untainted, white meant holy um uh white meant superior oh absolutely by by, by this point that is uh, those are all things that have been established yeah and there and there are new white people because like to your point those people who had immigrated irish people polish people part of how they had to survive in the united states is really naming themselves as not being like the enslaved right so there i'm saying is there are people who are white now who weren't white before either right yeah so i just you know wanted to be specific in that regard there's a new group of white faces in the auditorium of whiteness yes yes Mm -hmm. yeah um Yeah. yeah and you had the civil war and which was fought to keep Black people enslaved. Um, yeah. Period. Well, uh, 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 Letty, it was about states' rights. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, states' rights to own property, which were enslaved people. <laughs> people tell me that. I'm like, yeah, states' rights to do what? And I will ask people, like, states' rights to do what? Own property? Just, oh, and uh, what was property? Enslaved people. It was enslaved Africans. And I only, I say that facetiously, but that's what's also impactful about whiteness is its ability to remix and rename something. Because to the extent that after the Civil War, people wanted this to not be about slavery, and they were like, it's about slaves' rights. That's what whiteness does. It completely takes a story and wants to switch it up, you know? So anyway, I was being facetious there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I already knew that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you have that. You have the whole Reconstruction era, which is essentially from, like, 1867 to um, 1873. Um, or some people say 1877, but nah. After the Civil War, do you think the shape of whiteness changed? It was the same. It was literally the same. Um, the only difference was that they didn't, um, they didn't have enslaved legally because of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. They could not enslave black people anymore. They could allow, they could create something called sharecropping yeah. and have them work on their plantation in the same place they were enslaved before and say, oh, but you can just work here since you already know it. And we'll just make sure that you're paid at the end of the year. And if you owe us anything, you have to repay that. Yeah, That's so slavery, yeah, they, it still gets they, yeah. white people power. It returned, yeah. and, and it returned power to what some would call were war criminals, right? Like people who had committed treason against the United States. Oh, well, that's, yeah, but the country had already excused that. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's very important. Um, all the Confederate soldiers um, that the country during the Reconstruction era said that they were not going to allow to hold government positions on the stuff, they ended up doing that um, yeah. because the government decided to choose whiteness like it always does. 
Um, and, and that's just- the, and 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 that's what I think is important, right? Like like when I think about that time period, like there was this opportunity for the North, however loosely you want to say it, to kind of really make substantial change. But to your point, they chose whiteness. And they also used whiteness as a way to convince the poor white people who honestly didn't own shit before the war and didn't own shit after the war to be okay with what would happen, right? It's like, well, at the end of the day, you still white. You know what I'm saying? Sure, your sons and fathers and uncles, all those people died, right? Because there's this period of time where poor white people are starting to think, wait a second, we're in this war for like these lion owning, you know, slave owning people. We don't own anything, right? But everyone's saying to them, well, at least you're not a slave. And so to a certain extent, the way that I interpret some of what whiteness means, Letty, you know, is that it also means like, well, at least you're not as bad as slave. You might still not own anything. You don't own land or a pot to piss in, but hey, I mean, you're white. Yeah, I want to make something very clear, though, is that it's not just about whiteness. Everyone was racist. Every white person was racist, period. Take whiteness out of it. They were racist because whiteness doesn't even become a concept really talked about much until really like early 20th century. Um, We start to see it, right? Like what it looks like because that white racialized identity, but they were racist. Um, You see this in property logs. Um, just because someone lived in New York didn't mean that they didn't own property down here in like North, yeah. North Carolina the same way now. Think Okay, think about it in today's terms, everyone who is listening. You can live in Maine and own a beach house in South Carolina. It is yours. Mm-hmm. They did that with plantations. They did that with enslaved yeah. people. So it was very easy for, the, for anyone above the Mason-Dixon line Okay, like from Virginia and up, middle of Maryland and up, we're going to say Virginia and up, to say mm-hmm. we aren't, we aren't racist or our country wasn't racist because we didn't actually, we weren't in the South. Didn't matter. Didn't matter because you were benefiting from it the same way you benefit from like racism now. And a lot of y'all own property down here. And a lot of y'all were complicit in it. And y'all, and, and again, you like benefited from it, right? So and poor whites still also thought they were better than black folks. They thought they oh, were well, better yes. than the black. Yeah. Because it was a known, at, at this point, it's just understood everything that's dark skin, that's black, is bad, is dirty, is beastly, um, needs to be tamed, uh, is inferior, um, doesn't matter. They are subhuman, like, yeah. period. And that's- so nobody wants to be black at the end of the day. No, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if like you're poor, at least you're not black, period. Yep, that was yep. it. And that um, mindset is what goes into the revolution, like, to, excuse me, to the reconstruction era, that at least I'm not black. I still got, I'm still, I'm still poor and hungry, right? But at least I'm not black. And the reconstruction era was actually not just for enslaved black people or that were, mm-hmm. that were newly freed. There were actually programs within the reconstruction era to help poor white people. But you want to know something? These poor white people said, actually, we don't want black people to get anything. So we're just going to completely cause this entire reconstruction era to falter. And really the government tapped out too. The government was like, mm, they're doing a lot of lynching and they're doing a lot of burning and they're doing a lot of like self-governing um violently we're and but we're more concerned about politics and money 
So we're gonna let them do whatever they want to do because of the electoral college and how that's set up. And I want you to go back to something because I think you said something that was prolific that white people need to hear. Though in the reconstruction era, there was programs that built schools and hospitals and all these things that benefited poor white people too. Some, but they would yes. some some poor white people, but they would rather like again to choose whiteness, racism. even if yeah, also and choose racism. racism and shoot themselves in the foot and see those programs go away before being in in community with black people at that time. And they wouldn't have been in community with them. Let me make that very clear. Okay. Okay. They would not have been in my community. That's not the that's the incorrect language to use. And I'm going to say that because okay. that's very, that gotcha. very dangerous. Because okay. they were still no white people racist. Yeah. The, re- the Reconstruction era, the majority of it was focused on helping enslaved, formerly enslaved black people helping. Yeah. <laughs> in my quotations, but. Really, it was a few programs for white people to help them with anything they may have lost during the war, may have lost um, property, something like that. It wasn't about schools and stuff for white people. They, they already had that. We didn't have that. They were built for us. White people would not have been attending the same schools as us. Now, this is in mostly the South, um, P.S. This is in mostly like Southern states. Because in the North, um, it was a bit different, but racism and segregation were still there too. Um, and so, yeah. And like also at this point, Keen, I'm be honest, and also white people that are listening, if y'all don't know by now about Reconstruction Era, I'm gonna need for y'all to like, honestly, just go read a book because I feel like, and I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm truly just like, it's at this point, it's like, what is confusing about this? And I still see people. I questioning it and I'm like what is what is confusing uh, and don't read just any book read something that's true and credible um but, but uh, yeah so probably written by a black person right like <laughs> come on and like yeah so you start yeah so the whole reconstruction era happens in that you also have the emergence of Jim Crow laws um convict leasing uh which is re-ens- re-enslavement um uh convict leasing god thing yes so that's another thing about sharecropping um white people made up whatever they wanted to make up white people consistently um indebted black people to this land that they were working on um because even if like a black man went to go settle up his year worth of stuff this white man that he's working for can say oh actually you use this much flour actually you used this much coffee and he didn't use any of that but he dare not question the white man because he could be killed instantly right so these are also the things that happened there, this was not an honest system i'm going to be very clear about something this country has never been an honest country about anything except for how racist it is there was no honesty. There was no telling the truth. People think, because I, I was even taught that about sharecropping, like, oh, it was an honest system. No, the hell it was not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, and so, yeah, like you, you have all these things going on and Jim, Jim Crow, Jim Crow laws were, and, and not just that, <laughs> Supreme Court cases. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Plessy versus Ferguson is the first one that I think about, which was eight, 1896. 
um, where you have a white passing black man who gets on the train and he has a drop of Negro blood in him and uh, he ends up having to go to like, to like the uh, Supreme Court, argue his case. And they're like, nah, segregation, all, all these laws are enacted. The lens that white people went to for space and to demand what they thought was godly theirs. Um, and I say that because Christianity is at the core of it. Um, and they weaponized it. And you start to see more of this happening because white people are so angry that slavery quote unquote ended. They're so angry. They create an entire, another system of enslavement, basically. Um, The government goes along with it. The government writes the laws. Government writes the policies. Um, Presidents, mayors, governors, um, judges, lawyers, bankers, grocers, everybody was with it. People could just decide whatever they wanted to decide the law was at the time. Um, They could decide what they wanted to say you were doing if you were walking down the street and you didn't walk far enough away from them. Oh, absolutely not. You, You disrespected me. Like there's so much. And this is why I say beginning of the 20th century is what I would argue is whenever you see this concept of whiteness really happening too, because you had immigrants coming over here again, a second wave of like immigration. And yes, immigrants coming over here were called racist terms. They were seen as dirty because you also have the eugenics movement starting. So these immigrants are seen as dirty and they're called other racist slurs and I will not say on, on here. Um, but because white people are so angry, they eventually are like, oh, but they can be part of us and they can be part of who we are, because the common villain here is the black person. The common villain here is the black person. So let's take the immigrants in because they can assimilate into whiteness. And also, let me be clear too, these immigrants are not like, they're not brown people. They're white people, like from Europe. Um, So they do look like other white people here, right? Um, So there is not this... um, othering that that eventually is happening it's a uh we have a common cause in this country and it's white first black never right um and now that's not to say that you still didn't have crimes against people who were of different races especially jewish people um doing an entire podcast on that right but uh, i also think it's important to name that jewish people were some of the first people who got enfranchised into right. whiteness yes. right so that's not to take away the ethnic identity there but I think it's really important, even when we talk about anti-Semitic, like, like actions in violence and that to be Jewish in the United States is also to have a racialized experience as white. But to be Jewish in other parts of the world, that is an ethnic identity that may not have the protections of whiteness. So I just feel like that's super important that people contextualize yeah. that. To be Jewish in the United States is very different than to be Jewish in Yugoslavia. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm also not, yeah. and I'm not advocating for anti-Semiticness anywhere. But yeah. I'm just saying it's important that people really make those distinctions that Jewish people got enfranchised into whiteness very early on in the game. I mean, but like everybody did, Irish did, Germans yeah. did, every literally everybody did. But the difference with the, with Jewish people is what happened with them, um, with Hitler, the Holocaust, That's, after yeah. that. Um, that's the whole thing. And Hitler and Hitler being inspired by 
United States scientists he, and he that's was, the part they also want to skip over all the time right, right? he he was the issue with this and I, I want people to understand too is people didn't know that then right people weren't even aware of that then people can only communicate with like I don't know written correspondence and word of mouth right so like and like newspapers okay so it's very so propaganda propaganda has always been a driving force propaganda I would argue has actually actually fueled right um so much after the like civil war oh my gosh so much hate so much racism and so and 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 matter of fact that wb du bois this is a great time to read that that art that quote that i was talking about um that he said in the souls of uh white folk if y'all don't know who wb du bois is please go google him um, but he basically was saying he, he was basically criticizing this racial identity that people were calling white, um, and that we now call white. Right. And he said, the discovery of personal whiteness among the world's peoples is a very modern thing, a 19th and 20th century matter indeed. And he said this in the souls of white folk at a particular time. And I'm reading that first part again, the discovery of personal whiteness among the world's peoples personal whiteness because race is a social construct and you all decided to create this you decided to create this and so with him saying personal whiteness I remember I read that years ago and I was like personal whiteness but they're they're white Eh, personal whiteness though whiteness can be weaponized at any time for any reason right um and we still see that happening. And so, yeah, you, you, you start to see quietness in action and you see it upheld and defended consistently, constantly by the very, by this very country. Um, you see everything. And I'm going back to that definition. Well, what, what I was saying before about how whiteness is this and this white racial identity group is the category as to which we're all compared to because it was seen as pure. It was seen as inherently moral. It was seen as innocent and anything else dare not disturb it. Um, yeah, I was on a roll. So Letty, a couple of things that like really like in this conversation, which is so enlightening and enriching as most conversations with you are. Because I think part of what I see a lot of people do, right, is do this whole, like <laughs> not all white people, right? So I want us to deal with that for a second because we're naming whiteness as a, well, I'm naming whiteness as a system that, you know, centers and favors this dominant uh, white identity, white minority that inflates this stuff as a majority because of the norms and the default status. So a question I feel like I get a lot is, so are we talking about white people? And if we are talking about white people, are we talking about all white people? Yes. Yes. We're talking about white people and all white people. This is not complicated for me at all. It's people trying to make it complicated to try to deflect from what we're actually talking about. Um, yeah, talking about white people, you benefit, you embody whiteness. You just do. And I've also gotten that question. Um, and the and the not all white people thing. Matter of fact, a friend of mine posted this uh, recently. Um, but I was like, maybe not all white people, but probably definitely you. <laughs> and- <laughs> And it's true though, right? And I feel like too, what happens is people say, people then are like, oh, so you're calling me a bad person? 
when did I literally ever say that? When did I ever say that in the, you, I never said that, right? But you're already projecting that. Like, why, why is that already? Why do you have the idea, okay? If, if your first question is, so you're saying that I'm a bad person? Okay, so you're telling me you've already seen white people being terrible. You've seen it. You've seen the racism. You've seen, you've seen the bad. Because if, if you hadn't, why, why would that be your first question, right? Like, if, if, if I'm confident in a project that I turned in, I don't know, or I'm not, not a project. Well, yeah, I like work project that I turn in. I don't know, it's like a random example. If if I'm confident in it, okay, and my boss wants to give me feedback on it, okay, and, and my boss is like, uh, Letty, I have some questions for you regarding um, one of your slides. If I did my work and I'm honest about it, I'm confident in it, my first thought is not going to be, oh, I probably got something wrong to me. Oh, I'm wondering what he wants to know or what she wants to know or what they want to know about this. Did I not submit something correctly on my slide? That's what I would think. Um, does that make sense? Like, is that like a weird, yeah. like, like a weird analogy? I, m- maybe it was kind of weird, but I just, I, I, I want people to understand what I'm trying you, to say. You won't be, you won't be defensive if you haven't done anything that was right. wrong. Right. And so when, when people say that, also, though, what's happening on another side, what's also happening is there's not, where's the room to have that conversation at that point, right? And and what I mean by that is you saying to me, like a white person saying to me, so you think that like, I'm a bad person, buddy? Okay, well, now I have to like, feel like I have to ease into it some more with you. Um, or make you feel not bad about it. Yeah. And I'm like, this ain't even what this is about. Uh, well, it also puts, it puts the onus on you to reassure them. Yeah which is centering like the person centering themselves found foundationally right which is also what whiteness does right and i'm just like no but also y'all be out here like staging insurrections so i mean i'm just i mean it's it's, it's, all in the name of protecting whiteness right and i just believe too that that's why there's this bigger conversation that I will continue to be a part of regarding dismantling this system, this very system that functions on white supremacy, racism, and upholding whiteness. Okay, this is where it's going to get a little personal. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to tell you what shapes my day, and then you're going to have the final world. So I started this project. Um, and you know, you were someone I was in communication with a lot when I was thinking about what this meant, what this conversation would be, what it wouldn't be. And because for me, whiteness has been something I've had to tactically and intentionally remove out of my life. Because even though I don't have the racial identity of white, like many professional Black people, I've had to subscribe to the norms of whiteness to be successful. And so part of the reason why this project was created for me is I've had to learn how to literally unsubscribe from whiteness. I had to learn how to stop endorsing those norms in my life and those those tenets and those values. And I think that's important to name that whiteness exists And a lot of people can be involved in this maintenance. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts or responses to that. It's okay if you don't. I mean, I kind of want to leave that there. Okay, no worries. Um, So the question I asked you is, what is shaping your life today? Um, And I'm going to answer that. What's shaping my life today? I'm reading this book by Mia Bay. And it's about the life of Ida B. Wells. And it's called To Tell the Truth Freely. And I've been reading this book slowly and intentionally and reminding myself that 
I could do hard things because Ida B. Wells was a Black woman reporting on lynching. <laughs> so what is shaping my life today is the knowledge that so many Black women and Black people have gone before me to do hard things and I can do hard things too, you know? So that's what's shaping my life today. So Letty, I'm so thankful to you for breaking it down and no. <laughs> in, in true Letty fashion, is there anything that you feel like you just feel like people who are navigating this conversation for themselves, divesting from whiteness, untangling themselves from whiteness, really with the with the idea of eliminating it as a system? Is there anything else you feel like people need to know as they start this journey or continue in this journey? Yeah, that it's about the systemic part, but also know that it's going to cost you something personally. And what I mean by that is like the same way that you may have to, oh, I don't know, uh, work through a friend disagreement that you have about something random, or maybe you're working through a hard day at work, whatever it is. Yeah. That's also like, you have to work through um, divesting from whiteness. You, that's going to cost you something. It's not yeah. going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy because for your whole life so far, that's all that you've known. You've only known that. And so whenever your mind, your, your brain um, gets things that it's not used to, any of us, we want to be defensive. We, we want to react. Um, chemicals in our brain would act differently. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And, 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 and what we do with those things in those moments and what our lizard brain does. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've talked about that a lot recently, but know that, and it's what James Baldwin has always said. He, he often talks about the price of the ticket. Yeah. Right. And whenever James Baldwin talks about the price of the ticket, people are like, oh, he's just talking about it in one way. If if you read Baldwin, you'll see that he means it in different ways, um, or not in different ways, but he talks about it in different ways. Um, but America has paid the price um, to uphold white supremacy and whiteness. It continues to pay it um, and, and it continues to pay it by the very system that we're seeing by <laughs> and and not just racism, capitalism um, as, as well. Um, but this country also paid a price uh, for racism. And uh, yeah, he, Bowen goes into this. It's really, it's actually really, really deep. But individually, you as white people pay a price individually whenever you choose racism, whenever you choose to continue to benefit from racism and whiteness. Whenever you choose those things, like that's the price that you're paying. That's, that is costing you something. Um, it's costing you something morally. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Letty. We are so appreciative to have you here, a part of our Divesting from Whiteness family. Um, Y'all, shout out to Letty. Shout out to History Shows Us. Uh, tell people where to find you, connect with you, follow you, throw, you know, throw flowers and escalate. That, I was going to say escalades. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, accolades, but if somebody wants to my girl up with some escalades, though, I'm, I mean, I mean <laughs> if somebody's willing, I will not say no. I will gladly accept a full paid escalade. If anyone's willing to do it. Anyone got one just hanging out, you know? Right. Just bring it my way. I will not say no. I will be grateful. Reparations are real. Thanks. Okay. Thank um, you. Look, we'll, look, we'll take a micro, macro. <laughs> like, let's just bring it. 
Yeah, so people can find me. Um, my podcast is called History Shows Us. That's on all the major streaming services, so Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast. Um, and find me on Instagram at History Shows Us Podcast. That's my podcast's Instagram and um, at sincerely Letty. That is where you can find me. Um, and I'm working on a website right now. So that'll be here soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Divesting from Whiteness podcast created by my friend, Kena Reed. Kena is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and educator. She's also the curator behind the Divesting from Whiteness podcast and platform, as well as the anti-blackness reader platform. Divesting from Whiteness was created to start a dialogue that gives folks tools to divest from whiteness and white supremacy culture. You can find it across all major platforms and remember to do good works.